Chapter Ten of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter Ten. We formed a picturesque procession, picturesque at least to the eyes of a New Yorker and also not without a certain impressiveness at our head very upright and dignified in his blue turban rode mustafa as befitted a master of ceremonies his aquiline nose scenting as it were first in one direction and then in another and sublimely unconscious of the rabble which looked on or ran beside us clamouring for money behind him came the camels stalking slowly and majestically along as though on parade with legs that seemed bowed outward by the weight of their immense packs looking out upon the world from under half-lowered lids with a gaze melancholy and resigned each camel was led by one of our ragged pirates and others led the goats and extra donkeys while the remainder of the crew trudged along behind bending under their packs but apparently cheerful enough for there was a continual flutter of talk running through their ranks the tale of the procession was its least impressive portion but i defy anyone to look impressive when mounted on a beast so small that one has to hold up one's legs to keep them from dragging on the ground it seemed like cruelty to animals to ride such beasts at all and then i looked at mustafa who weighed twice as much as i did and whose donkey was even smaller than mine and my conscience grew more reconciled I resolved to ask Mustafa at the first opportunity what he did with his legs. So, zigzagging along a narrow road which mounted gently toward a low range of hills, we crept away eastward, and the natives trailing along in front of us reminded me of a company of the damned, with their burdened backs and their fluttering brown cloaks and their shaven heads glistening beneath their skull caps. As we rode along, Davis strove to entertain us by pointing out various things of interest, the hills a mile or two away across the river, honeycombed with the entrances of the tombs of the kings, the high watermark of the last inundation, the mighty mass of Karnak, the mud village which marked the end of the arable land, and also, thank heaven, of the beggars. But I scarcely listened, for the most wonderful thing of all was that I should be here, in this company, riding away into the desert as i looked around i saw the same wonder in the eyes of all the others that we should be here riding away into the desert to furnish the amusement for a lot of people who knew nothing of egypt and cared less ridiculous we threaded a narrow pass between two low scraggly hills and quite suddenly we came out upon the desert it stretched away and away to the horizon one ridge of sand behind another like waves of a frozen sea trackless and illimitable waiting to engulf us it daunted me it overawed me to venture into it seemed to be courting death how we could ever hope to find the oasis a pinpoint amid this waste i could not imagine i wanted to stop and think it over but mustafa without drawing rein plunged on I saw the showers of sand as the camels ploughed along behind him then the natives were ankle-deep in it and suddenly my donkey's feet were cushioned and silenced and we rode on as noiselessly as a company of phantoms 
a moment later i was conscious of the heat as though we were riding straight through the door of a white hot oven the sun was sinking toward the hills behind us it was from the sand the heat mounted mighty waves of it the helmet which creel had given me felt clumsy and heavy my clothes seemed to weigh me down the heat of the donkey penetrated the saddle my legs began to ache creel looked around at davis anxiously i don't know whether the women can stand this he said oh yes we can protested ma creel smiling bravely though her face was purple it's my poor donkey i pity it will be cooler very soon said davis we will get the breeze from the sea as soon as the sun is a little lower which sea asked creel the red sea davis answered it's about a hundred miles away over there to the east the red sea pharaoh the children of israel so we were really here in this land which was old before the rest of the world was born i looked around again with a little intaking of the breath and just then i felt on my forehead the first hint of coolness gentle as a kiss look at the sky said ma creel suddenly and looking up i saw for the first time the wonders of a desert sunset an hour later we dismounted for a short rest and a cup of tea which davis and mustafa brewed for us on a little alcohol stove it was very strong and black and flavored with goat's milk and we tasted it somewhat gingerly and found it delicious there was never any protest about goat's milk after that then we tried to talk but we were all too immersed in wonder a little distance away among the camels and goats and donkeys the natives sat crouched around some wooden vessels filled with a greasy mess into which they dipped pieces of greenish bread eating with great gusto as we sat there the desert turned suddenly to beaten gold as the sun sank behind the hills to the west and then a weird chant rose among the natives and we turned to see them apparently washing their hands with sand and bowing toward the east Maghrib said Davis in answer to our look the Muslim always prays just after sunset he added seeing we did not understand it is called Maghrib what sort of prayer do they say asked ma creel who was very religious in her own way and who was watching the ceremony with evident awe they recite a verse from the quran usually a good deal like our lord's prayer but mustafa isn't praying someone pointed out and indeed there sat mustafa with his legs crossed a little apart calmly smoking a cigarette and looking at the kneeling crowd with an air distinctly disdainful mustafa is a copt and therefore a christian explained davis you can tell that from his blue turban and black burnous and the copts despise the muslims yes just look at mustafa said creel i wonder those fellows don't mob him but go ahead professor and tell us some more what is a copt anyway the copts are probably the direct descendants of the ancient egyptians explained davis obligingly mustafa is a good type look at his profile he might have stepped right off an ancient monument while the fellahin there are of a more or less negroid type when the arabs conquered egypt they persecuted the copts in every way they could think of among other things forcing them to wear dark colors as a mark of their inferiority they can wear any kind they want to now of course but they stick to the dark clothes they take a pride in them like the beggars of holland and gothic architecture and all that 
supplemented Creel, and Davis nodded, with a glance of surprise that a mere moving picture man should know anything about such matters. But the prayer was ended, and Mustafa, taking a last long pull at his cigarette, threw it away, rose, and came toward us. We will go on now, if you please, Sars, he said, and summoned two boys to clear away the tea things, and in a few minutes we were again in the saddle. Quite suddenly the colour faded from the sky, darkness fell, and the stars leaped out. Leaped is the only word for it, and such stars. Our caravan became a line of shadows drifting across the desert without a sound. Involuntarily we drew closer together, and I somehow found myself riding by Molly's side. Her face was only a white blur in the darkness, but it seemed to me friendlier than it had been for a long time. Indeed, from the moment she had nestled up to me in the carriage, I had felt that the hatchet was buried, and I resolved that it should not be I who dug it up. Splendid, isn't it? I said, reining nearer to her. She nodded, looking at me with shining eyes. Aren't you glad you came? I asked. Yes, it's wonderful, too wonderful for talk. I agreed with her, and we rode on in silence, and I began to hope again. Perhaps, after all, out here in the desert, with no uniforms around, I might still have a chance. It was by the stars, I suppose, that Mustafa guided himself. At any rate, his pace never faltered. Behind him plodded the camels, strangely at home in these surroundings, and then the dark mass of natives, drifting like a cloud across the glimmering sand. And as they went, they crooned a low, graveyard chant, well suited to a land which had been dead for centuries. It went on and on. My eyes closed, my head nodded. I caught myself as I was slipping from the saddle, and the shock of it startled me wide awake. I looked around a little sheepishly to see if Molly had noticed, and found myself gazing into the dark eyes of Mademoiselle Roland. "'You were nearly asleep,' she taunted in a low voice. "'I saw you nodding.' I caught myself just in time, I admitted, wondering what had become of Molly. "'Aren't you sleepy?' "'Oh, no, no,' she breathed. "'I feel as though I should never sleep again.' I feel as though I should never be fully awake again, I said. This is getting into my blood. The rest of my life will be passed in a kind of trance. She smiled again at that, and her face seemed very wonderful. I noted how the starlight was caught in her hair and reflected in her eyes. There would be many fates worse than that, she murmured. Yes, I reflected. There were many worse fates than that. To live, as it were, drugged by this perfumed atmosphere, without thought for the past or care for the future. Perplexed no more with human or divine, tomorrow's tangle to the winds resign. Oh, look, look, cried my companion, and following her pointed finger, I saw that the horizon ahead of us was flushed with rose. It is the moon, she breathed. The flush deepened, grew, shot up into the sky, and then, over the horizon's brim, peeped a glowing disk. It was not the cold white moon that I knew, but a more brilliant orb, burning with its own light, throwing a rosy flush over the grey sand, transforming the world into a wonderland. We rode on in silence, with rapt faces and trembling hearts. Out of the darkness ahead came a sharp word of command, startlingly loud in the silence. It is here we stop, 
said Davis's voice, and I realized that the word of command had come from Mustafa. In a moment, the natives had thrown off their packs. The camels were kneeling down and being relieved of their burdens, protesting with weird screams. As I slipped from the saddle and helped Mademoiselle Roland to dismount, Mustafa appeared out of the darkness and spoke to Davis. We will put up the tent for the ladies, said the latter after a moment, but we men will sleep in our blankets. The halt is only for a few hours. We will be off again at dawn. Perhaps some fruit would be welcome. Mustafa hurried away again, and presently a native appeared with a basket of oranges and dark brown dates. As I looked around, I could see dimly that we had halted beside a huge mound of sand. Is this an oasis? I asked Davis. He laughed at the question. That mound is a tomb buried in the sand, he said. There is no evidence that there ever was any vegetation here. The tomb was opened some years ago, he added. But it had been rifled by the Arabs. What on earth did anyone want to build a tomb away out here for? asked Ma Creel. I do not know, madam, answered Davis. Nobody knows. The ruins to which we are going are much farther in the desert, and yet I believe there is a tomb among them. Perhaps more than one. There are many things about ancient Egypt we do not understand, but perhaps some day. At least I hope to solve the riddle of those tombs. There was an intensity in his manner which impressed us, and a little silence followed. Then suddenly Mademoiselle Roland laughed, a low laugh full of mockery. It is but one riddle of a thousand, is it not? she asked. Davis had started round toward her nervously at the sound of that laugh. Now he stood blinking at her uncertainly. One of many thousand, he said quietly at last, but still worth solving. There is your tent, ladies, he added in another tone, and I saw that a white shape had arisen against the mound. Is, is it all right? asked Molly, a little tremulously. Perfectly all right, Davis assured her. There is not the slightest danger. The natives are camped on the other side of the mound, and we shall be sleeping just outside. If we only had a light, began Ma Creel. There is a light, madam, Davis broke in, and indeed the tent was suddenly illuminated faintly from within. You will find it very comfortable. Nevertheless, by a sort of common impulse, we accompanied them to the door of the tent. Ma Creel was the first to enter, and she gave a cry of delighted astonishment. But look, she cried, it is perfect. Come in, come in. We crowded in at the door and saw that it was indeed surprisingly well arranged. Curtains of canvas divided it into three apartments, in each of which was a cot spread with spotless blankets. Beside each cot lay a narrow rug, and on this stood a folding chair. The entrance formed a sort of vestibule, in which stood a folding table with basin and pitcher of water and soap and towels there was even a mirror the light came from an oil lamp hung against the center pole oh i feel all right now said ma creel this is like home good night everybody we bade them good night and mustafa led us to the spot where our own blankets had been spread upon the sand is anything else required saz he asked looking around at us no i think not davis answered then good night sars said mustafa and disappeared around the mound we could hear the amused voices of the women as they prepared themselves for bed and i reflected that the hatchet between molly and mademoiselle roland must be buried too 
such silly antagonism could not survive amid such surroundings the desert was too downright too real too august and i was glad davis sitting on his blanket was removing coat and shoes and we followed his example as i lay back i felt that the sand was pleasantly warm it adjusted itself to the body almost like a feather bed i pulled the other blanket over me and stared up at the stars this was an adventure worth having whether the film was a success or failure i was getting something out of this expedition which i would never forget so were we all creel and molly and even old digby mademoiselle roland perhaps most of all i remembered how her eyes had shone as brightly as the stars and there never were such stars or such a moon End of chapter 10